Well, welcome to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. We're starting off our season two here. I think we're going to be talking about livestock guardian animals. Yeah, it was something in terms of the topic. You know, I'm laying in bed the other night and listening to the coyotes carry on, which always sends a chill up my spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you've recently acquired a, a livestock guardian animal. Uh, we've used one for a number of years. Not that we have a significant amount of, of predator issue, uh, but I do know that we have them around and and we try to to be proactive in preventing any type of livestock loss due to that predation yep yeah i know oh for the first i don't know four years five years however long i've been in sheep um we didn't have anything we were just using uh the electric net and we didn't have a single issue um We've got plenty of coyotes around. We don't have much of an issue with stray dogs. We're pretty lucky in that regard. There's an occasional black bear that will go through. Um, lots of Sasquatches. We see them on right. just about a daily basis. We see them. And Hauling uh, lambs off. What's that? Hauling lambs off? No, not usually. They're afraid of the electric net. You know, okay. <laughs> they, something people don't think about with Sasquatches, they don't wear shoes. And they have no fur. On the, they have no fur in the bottom of their feet, so they get electrified pretty easily. Pretty significant ground. Yeah. So, so that's it's electricity works real well on them. Right. The uh, but I have seen coyotes walk around the perimeter of a paddock where we'll have them, where we'll have the sheep, and all they were doing was as the sheep were milling around in that tall grass, they were kicking out mice. And the coyotes were just nabbing the mice as the mice came out through the netting. But as far as we know, we've not lost a single animal to a coyote unless they've you know just completely carried them off. And we just figured, you know, we didn't know what happened to it. We figured maybe there had been a death and we had not marked the number down kind of a thing. But um, I keep reading stories where you know, somebody's never had an issue with coyotes and they go out one night and you've got, you know, six or seven dead animals and a whole bunch that are all tore up and you start thinking maybe it's worth investing in some kind of a a guardian animal. Yeah. Preventative measures. And that's kind of where, you know, where we were again, I don't know that we've lost, I, I know we have not lost one to, uh, to predation, which is yeah. surprising. Again, we know we have a uh, presence of those predators around, you know, around the farm and it's a significant death loss for the majority of our, our small ruminant producers. You know, we talked about some survey data there uh, a couple weeks ago and in that USDA survey, looking at percentages and common death, death loss, your predation is really the big one across the U S and that's, one of the struggles that we have to deal with compared to our other you know, ruminant counterparts. So I've heard that uh, in some heavy predator areas, uh, you know, we can lose some calves to some coyotes, but it's not a, a common occurrence. And I think you have to be pretty committed to, if you're a, a predator, 
uh, pretty committed to take on a, a group of mama cows to to try to get a calf uh, as opposed to you know just size and and ease of prey that a lamb kind of offers uh, and so yeah like you had mentioned just out of out of prevention as opposed to waiting till you have a problem uh, you know we've opted for kind of the donkey route of things because it again I don't think we have a severe issue I think if we were dealing with it in a significant manner I would find a dog or a group of dogs and uh, we would we would go that route but for the time being the donkey is is keeping them at bay uh, and you know, this is we're on donkey number two now um, had received one from a, a gentleman that had moved some sheep inside for the majority of the year uh, he was raising some blackface some blackface used down the road and uh, I think he had three or four donkeys and just didn't have a use for the one and she was a Jenny uh, and, and it was fascinating to me just to watch the interaction of once that donkey is bonded to that flock, mm -hmm. how they interact. So, you know, she would, she would actually bring those sheep in. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, she's not necessarily a herding dog, but those sheep knew that, you know, in the evening, this is back when we had the blackface use, they'd come up near the barn and she'd go out and she'd stand in the gate opening almost like a, you know, a old time sheep fold type yeah. situation where shepherds would bring sheep into a, a fold to prevent predation and, and a number of other things, but she would do that. And then, um, you know, where the, she passed away, um, the donkey we have now, again, I wouldn't suggest this when we're thinking of donkeys as livestock guarding animals. Um, her replacement was, uh, we ended up getting a jack, an intact male donkey, and also a gelding. And uh, the gelding did not work out. He was terrible. And the plan was to geld the jack because everybody says, well, you can't, it's not a good situation. Um, you know, he's got hormones running through him and will not operate as a guardian animal. And and he is still intact, um, haven't had a problem. It's kind of, I feel like a case by case basis, but I'd say just general rule of thumb, intact male donkeys probably don't work well with as guardian animals. Um, and, and he's doing the same thing as what, you know, I was nervous when you have a good one, it's like, how hard is it gonna be to replace, to replace this one and, um, you know, similar situation. I've got some pictures that are kind of fun. We were uh, trying to reclaim some ground around some wooded area and and uh, butts right up where that predator habitat would be. And so he's found, um, I guess what he would view as kind of the high ground in that pasture. And in the evening, you know, he would bray and uh, make some noise and those ewes would come up. He would kind of uh, get them into the corner of the paddock that we had we had designed they all would lay down and he'd go out and stand on the hill and watch over uh, that wooded area and and where those predators would be coming from so again i i don't know it's probably not worth studying uh, but but i would love to know what type of communication and interaction 
that those sheep and that donkey has because it to me it's absolutely fascinating that you've got you know this bonded animal to this group of sheep uh, and they apparently know that he's there to to do a job and um yeah, and he's done a, a great job for us so far. So the only thing that's not great uh, you know, on the donkey side of things is not a farrier. And uh, if he can't walk and he's not comfortable, then I feel that he can't do his job. So as opposed to just going out and hacking on him myself, um, you know, we have somebody come in on a pretty regular basis and keep him, keep his feet in, in check and, uh, just make sure that he's healthy and, and able to do his job. But now you don't have a donkey. Nope. You've opted for another route. Yeah. Um, like I said, we, we talked about this for a while. and kept thinking we needed to do something. And I, I spoke with a gal. Oh, maybe, maybe three years ago now. And um, had made arrangements to drive all the way over to pick one up. And the day before I just said, I'm just not ready to make this commitment. And, uh, and so I ended up calling the gal and telling her I wasn't coming. And she was very gracious about it, but uh, and very forgiving, but she had every right to be really upset. But then uh, so we waited like another year and an opportunity came up to get a pup. And um I just decided it was it was time to do it. You know, the flock was getting big enough that if you if you took a hit, it was it, you know it was it was going to hurt. And uh, so we went and, and picked the pup out. And uh, you know, I looked at the guy and I said, I have no idea which is a going to be a good puppy and which isn't. So I just let him pick one out and uh, went back and picked that pup up in exactly eight weeks. And that puppy was born in a uh in a hoop building uh they just had a little section that they had sectioned off for that mother and the pups and the mother could come and go and that hoop building you know was just full of sheep and the pups they just had a board up so the pups couldn't get out and get hurt and when we brought that pup home we built we just put uh all some uh pallets together and just took the boards mm-hmm. off a couple uh, on the one end so that that pup could go inside there if those ewes would bother it and we brought that pup home and stuck it in that in that uh, configuration that we had made and it wasn't very long for that pup comes waddling out and wanting to look at those sheep and those sheep just beat the snot out of that poor pup and he'd yip and or she, she'd yip and run back in there. And, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to go well. My sheep weren't <laughs> used to having a dog around them at all. And uh, and it only be a minute or two, and that pup come back out and just start walking around, another one up to those sheep. And they'd put the, you know, they'd start, they'd be stomping their feet and, you know, ramming them with their head and running them back in. And I kept thinking, this is not going to work. But a few days later, that pup would go out and just walk around those sheep in the pen, and there was not an issue at all. And uh, it's funny, the older ewes will not put up with that pup shenanigans. They'll just put mm. him, they'll put her right to the ground. We named that pup 
I didn't name it. Had I named it, it would have just been dog. But uh, CJ, yeah. you're about as creative as we are on uh, on naming donkeys. Yeah, we had a the Jenny was called Genevieve, and then the Jack that we have is named Jack. So yeah, yeah, again, real real creative on the naming. Oh, when my daughters found out that it was named Gretchen, the first thing she said did was sent me a text message. She says, well, who knew, named that? Because you certainly didn't. It would have just been dog. <laughs> I said, absolutely. It's what it would have been. But uh, yeah, those older youths will not put up with her shenanigans. They'll put her right on the ground. And she doesn't fight back. She just, she'll lay on her back and she just is really submissive to them. And that that whole first year. So she was probably three and a half to four months old when we put her first put her out with sheep. Um, she was never ever alone. She was always with sheep, but the first time we put them out on pasture, we stuck her right out there with them and, and took that same contraption that we had made out of pallets. And honestly, I'm surprised this thing hasn't fallen apart yet because we drag it from paddock to paddock every day. And it's still holding up. I'm so amazed by it. I don't know who made these pallets, but they did a good job with them. But, the, uh, <laughs> but that whole first year, that dog barked at everything. And we happened to be over close to the neighbors. And I was thinking, oh, they're not going to be happy about this. And, and I saw him the next day. And he says, what's that dog do out there? And I said, well, he's supposed to be just running off coyotes and stuff like that. And he goes, is there that many coyotes there? And I said, well, at this point, anything that he thinks or she thinks is uh, an issue, she's going to bark at it. And I said, that could be a coyote, a Sasquatch, a possum, a raccoon, a rabbit. Could be a deer clearing the other side of the farm. Anything that it thinks is an issue, it's going to stand there and bark. And, um, and suddenly this spring, that just changed. And she's mm -hmm. right at that, she was right at that year and a half mark in age and um she just settled down and it has to be something that comes up you know pretty close to those sheep before she'll bark and the other thing we noticed this year you talk about the interaction wherever she thinks the threat is she'll go to that side of that paddock and start barking and all the sheep go to the other side of the paddock and I don't yeah, know do they, do they run over there do they just kind of meander their way over no they the run over they actually run over. And it is the strangest thing. And part of me thinks the older yous are just saying, there goes that darn dog again. Let's go right. get away from that stupid right. thing because it was, will not shut up. But right. they, they didn't do this when it was a pup. They just, mm. yeah, it, it would be right in there amongst the sheep just barking and barking and barking. And the sheep didn't move around at all, but Last night, or the night before, I guess it was, CJ and I were up and we were moving sheep and he went up to the far side to check fence. And then he went on up into the woods to see where we were going to try to run some new fence eventually. And he came down out of that woods and she started barking. And I heard this thunder of hooves and I looked up. <laughs> it was all these sheep running to the other side. And I mean, hmm. it, they were not just meandering along. They were moving. So what they, kind of dog is she, like breed-wise? She is a an Antolian Shepherd and a Merima Cross. Okay. And okay. I'm not going to tell you that's the best cross in the world because I have no clue. But I can yeah. tell you, 
this this dog has really really worked out um i know if we go up with a cart and we pick up you know one u or one u lamb or something like that and we you know we'll put it in the cart to bring it back down to the barn for whatever reason you can't keep the dog won't stay with the sheep the dog will jump the fence and follow that cart all the way down really yeah you have to somebody has to stay with her and then we bring the cart all the way down and then once it's like out of sight then she's okay she's just right back with the sheep yeah that's awesome and so we anytime we go to work sheep she's kind of a pain because she wants to be right in the middle of everything mm -hmm. and um she's not i had a concern that maybe she would bond so tightly to those sheep that if we went to handle them, you know, she, she would be an issue, you know, and want to bite you or something, but. But she still knows you're the good guy. Yeah. Yep. I, yeah. every time I, I go in, um, I always call her over. You know, you don't even usually have to call her cause she's coming. Um, but she'll come over and, you know, sit down and you just pat on her a little bit. And of course I found, you know, over the last, couple of years if you just pet her slowly she remains calm <laughs> if you mm. if you start you know petting her you know quickly and all aggressively and, oh gotcha how you doing how you doing how you doing and then she wants to jump on you and you she's fly. like 80, <laughs> she's like 80 pounds <laughs> yeah yep, she's big so yeah you just you just go up and do everything calmly <laughs> she stays calm yeah, there was a producer you mentioned, you know, she was a crossbred and, and we know the benefits of crossbreeding and sheep and some hybrid vigor, you know, gentlemen, and this kind of stuck with me again, we don't have a dog. And first of all, you mentioned breeds, we could prob probably spend multiple episodes talking about breeds and oh, yeah. upsides, downsides and getting people that have had multiple and kind of figuring out what their, what their ideal guard dog is, but it's, I think it goes back to in, individual, you know, back to even genetics. You know, we talk about genetics and sheep, but, uh, you know, there's a component in a lot of different things in life, and especially on the farm that that ties back into genetics. But this gentleman down in southern West Virginia was, you know, raising a significant number of sheep uh, and was running a pack of, of dogs. You know, he had pretty severe uh, predator pressure, both uh, on the ground and, and in air, in the air coming from, uh, you know, black-headed vultures. And, yeah. you know, his, his comment was he had a bunch of different breeds and he said, the best ones are my crossbreds. Huh. The, the F1s uh, out of, you know, whatever breeds they were, um, he said, they, they seem to, to carry on the best traits or best characteristics from, you know, the one breed and then the other breed. And, and that was kind of his goal was to, to create a bunch of hybrids for his own, you know, pack of, of dogs. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a, it's one of those things that a lot of producers need them and, and probably we can pay a little bit more attention to the dogs in some aspects because they're so crucial in our, our heavy predator areas um but i mean so far i guess my question for you you know difficulty of keeping that dog food away from the sheep have you had any issue with that or 
you, and that's the reason we kind of landed on a donkey is, you know, I can turn a donkey out with my ewes and the vegetation that they consume is, is similar enough that mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Um, and for me, you know, that was an upside. Same reason a lot of individuals will go with like a llama uh, because again, consumption of what they're eating on a daily basis is the same. Uh, and so like the dog food for me has always been kind of the, the conundrum with how you deal with it. And I've seen some different, I guess, ideas or um, actually what people have built to kind of work around it. Um, but how have you managed that so far? So the, that crate thing that we had made. So basically it is it's three pallets. So you have three sides. And then on the front is a fourth pallet that we took two boards off. Maybe, I don't think it, I don't even think it was three. I think we only took two boards off that pallet. And so that just gives you an opening that's about, I don't know, 10, 12 inches high. And that, because that dog, since it's a pup, has gone in and out of that opening, we hung a dog feeder on the inside of that. And mm. it's down low enough that no sheep, well, of course, the, the pallets are high enough that our sheep can't reach over top of them, but then we you know, lowered it down in a little more. But the sheep can't get under that to get into that dog food. And and Gretchen will come up and she literally like lays on her side and, and wiggles herself in there to get to the dog food. But my biggest concern about getting a guard dog was the expense of the dog food. And I wasn't sure if I was really ready to commit to that expense. Gretchen doesn't eat much at all. It absolutely amazes me how little she eats. There was about 45 days that we had, maybe 35 days, we brought everybody in the barn and, or we had them on the, up on the dry lot, but we had Gretch in a pen with a handful of ewes. And I went like two or three days and then I checked her dog food and it was empty. And so I, I filled it up again. I went two or three days and just happened to think of it, checked it, and it was empty. And I'm like, why are you going through so much dog food? You never eat this much dog food. Out in the fields, as soon as I turn the sheep into the next paddock, Gretchen is going all through that tall grass. She's eating mice and voles and moles and all kind of stuff that's in there. And she doesn't need a lot of dog food because she's eating all this other stuff. Hmm. I find that just fascinating. I never would have thought that would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something too. I, I don't think we talk about it a lot is the, you know, the veterinary care, you know, the expense of, Hmm. of having that, that animal. Um, Yes. It's a working animal, but that's something to consider, you know, regardless of, of what guard animal you land on. And you could say something, about every single one, you know, I mentioned with the donkey, you know, I'm going to bring a farrier in because I want those, those hooves to be um, trimmed to the, in a manner that they're supposed to be. I could, again, I could take them off uh, and it would be okay and they wouldn't be overgrown, but I need longevity out of, out of that animal and I need him to feel 
you know, his very best. Um, One of the issues we've dealt with, uh, you know, he can and can begin to founder early in the spring. You know, we think about donkeys and and where they originated from. They were not designed for the eastern part of the United States where we have lush forage. Right. Yeah. You know, metabolically, they were designed for arid regions eating scrub. So, you know, when this poor guy, we turn him out on grass, he goes crazy uh, and he'll founder and and dealt with that last year. Uh, The other thing that we learned last year, um, they do not deal with, at least this guy specifically, does not deal with cold, like extreme cold, as well as what I would have assumed. Um, And so we had a, you know, below zero type night with some freezing rain and he had a shed and everything, but we went out and he was out with some cows. Um, and, um, when I say a shed, it was three sided. He was out of the wind, out of the rain, but just that bitter, bitter cold. We, we saw him was like, Oh, you don't look as good as what we'd like you to. So brought him in. Um, you know, we had some old blankets there in the barn and, um, you know, got those on him, got him warmed up, and uh, you know he stayed in in the barn with our replacement ewe lambs from then on out because um, you felt so bad. But but you know those are the things. So like we had to go and buy a, a grazing muzzle harness or a halter for him, um, so he doesn't you know consume as much lush green grass in the the beginning of spring, so he can acclimate to it. Um, you know, someone with a guard animal, a guard dog uh that dog food is an expense that vet bill for uh vaccinations flea tick whatever is an expense if i've got a llama or an alpaca if i hire somebody in to shear it that's an expense mm-hmm. uh, and so again it's that's something what you said i feel like that's a a mature thought of what you mentioned before of I just wasn't ready to commit yeah. to it. So you made the right call in saying, I, I have to back out of this. Like yeah. you normally wouldn't do that. But I think in your situation, if I was the breeder, yeah, I could be mad, but I also could say, you know what? He made a, an adult decision to say, this is, I'm not ready for it. I can't provide the best atmosphere for it. So I'm going to opt out of, of doing it, you know, because it is a commitment, you know, to your, to your point, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, it, that was what I was worried about was just the major expense of it. Um, as, as far as the vet, we've not done much at all with Gretchen. Uh, when we did the vet client patient relationship visit here last March, um, I, what I called, I said, yeah, we, we need to do something. I don't know what dogs are supposed to get for shots. I don't know if they're supposed to have annual shots, annual pills. I've just never dealt with that kind of stuff. And any dog we had around here were just an old farm dog. And it just, you know, survived on dog food, table scraps, and and a little love. And that was it. A little love. <laughs> a little love. And uh, so, so the vet gave her all kinds of shots and, and then left some stuff with me for to get a little more the uh, uh, you know the second round of shots and all that kind of stuff and 
But as we walked out, uh, there's this blob just laying there. And the vet said, oh, my God, is that your dog? And I looked up and I said, yeah, that's her. What's wrong with her? I said, nothing. She's just on that guardian dog death sleep where they just lay completely flat. And you're thinking it's a dead animal. I said, we get a little right. close to that head will pop up and then a tail will wag and then it probably gets some barking. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. And the gal, the, the vet was like, I've never seen that. I've heard about it. I said, yeah, that's, that's what she does. You talk about that bitter cold, you know, last year, right there between what was it, Christmas and New Year's, mm-hmm. you know, it just got just brutal. And uh, I was worried about Gretchen. I didn't know what was going to happen with her. And I kept, I was worried about the sheep too, honestly. But um, so I would go up, you know, two or three times a day to make sure everybody was okay. And every time she just come bouncing up underneath the wagon, just all happy to see me. And, and uh, I know the, the sheep were drinking because they were getting their water from snow. And I, I kind of didn't worry about water for a few days. And then I thought, well, I need to take some up there just to, because they had tramped through a lot of the snow where we were just kind of putting them. And as soon as I jumped that water in, old Gretchen come up and just started drinking. And I'm like, oh, Gretchen, I completely forgot about, <laughs> about you needing water. Now I kind of dropped the ball on that deal. And I felt, I felt bad for her, but it's one of those things you learn and you're like, okay, you're not going to let that happen again. But, right. So I don't know if she, got a little moisture from snow or not, but she was not getting the moisture she needed for sure. <laughs> right. She stood there a long time lapping up water. I felt pretty bad for her. So, but yeah, she's been a good dog. And we, I think we've just been really, really lucky is it sure wasn't anything that, that we did other than just leaving that dog in. So we're running up on our time here, Cam. Been good talking to you and just, kind of see what you're using for guard animals yeah yeah i think again just kind of closing points it it's an individual selection you know so i think you can run into some good individuals i think there's there's plenty of bad individuals out there in terms of guardian animals so Mm -hmm. um yeah we've been pleased with ours and not to say that we won't pivot and and go with something different to try something else but yeah just again thought it was Another timely topic, and we look forward to maybe some feedback from some of the listeners on what what maybe they've seen, or uh, really just those animal, those separate species interactions that we were yeah. discussing. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, those to me are are just fascinating. Yeah. So you can leave that face or that uh, that feedback feedback. Gee, willikers. Uh, yeah, you can leave that feedback. And a couple of different places. You can reach out to me at uh, bigtomperkins at gmail.com or you can check out our Facebook page, the Grazing Sheep Podcast. And uh, yeah, you can leave that feedback there. If you have any questions, yeah, you can reach out to me one of those. So it's been uh, good talking to you, Cam. Good talking to you, Tom. We'll catch up with you later. Bye.